0: This podcast is brought to you by Fear Free, the initiative that takes the pet out of petrified and puts treat into treatment. Learn more at FearFreePets.com.
1: This is the Fear Free podcast series. I'm your host, Steve Dale. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Fiona Bateman about at-home care of the veterinary dermatology patient. Dr. Bateman is originally from Australia and graduated with honors, may I say. From the University of Melbourne in 2005. She completed her residency in veterinary dermatology in Brisbane, Australia, and became a diplomate of the American College of Veterinary Dermatology in 2014. She established a dermatology referral practice in Melbourne, Australia, before heading over here to the USA, where she was an assistant professor of dermatology at the University of Georgia from 2016. In 2019, she joined the veterinary professional services team at Zoetis. Fear Free would like to thank Zoetis for sponsoring this podcast, and thank you for being here today, Dr. Bateman. Uh, We're talking allergies in dogs and long-term control. What do environmental allergies in dogs look like?
0: Well, thanks so much for having me, Steve. Um, Look, just like in humans, allergies really manifest themselves differently in every dog. So for some, it may be a seasonal occurrence, and I'm based in Georgia, and where I am right now, it's pretty common to have a seasonal flare in the spring when we have this heavy pollen per- burst. It's usually pine pollen. And then again, we have this flare in the fall, which is usually associated with ragweed pollen levels. So for some dogs, it's seasonal. For other dogs, it tends to be a, a more of a year-round concern, and that really depends on what they're allergic to. In terms of clinical signs, whilst every dog is different, there are some typical patterns we see, such as rubbing of the face, uh, scratching of the ears, licking the paws, um, rubbing the body excessively, so particularly up underneath, so the chest, the belly, and around the genital area, on the ground, on the carpet, on the furniture. Uh, and that can be a really classic sign of allergies
1: in dogs. Mm-hmm. Are there degrees of itchiness? So on a daily basis... On a minute-by-minute basis, I suspect, people say, my dog is itching to you, because your job is to hear those people say, my dog is itchy. When they say that, you have to break it down, I assume. Is it that the dog's itches, like, once a day, once a week, once every two minutes? I mean, is there a degree or a way to measure itchiness?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for me to have that ongoing discussion with my patient's owners or my pet parents about that. It's not just a, you know, an initial visit question. That's something that I really keep track of over time. And any human who has skin conditions like eczema or psoriasis, they'll tell you itch is really an urgent medical condition and it takes a huge toll emotionally on the patient. And I think for us as veterinarians, we know that itch isn't just a concern for that pet. It's a problem for that whole family. So it's interesting. In fact, we know that the quality of life scores for owners, not just pets, are lower. So that is their quality of life is poor when there is a burden of chronic skin disease in their pets. So in terms of tracking the itch, uh, I think that's so important because we don't know whether our therapeutics are working or not if we've got no way to objectively measure that. So one of the tools that I like to use the most is called an itch tracker, and that's a validated scale with descriptors that let owners judge how itchy their dog is on a scale of 1 to 100. That number is then used not just as a baseline, but as I mentioned, it tracks the effectiveness of treatment or perhaps the ineffectiveness of treatments over time. Uh, and you can really uh, get those itch trackers. There are several of them in the published literature, but probably the easiest way is there is a website. It's called the Science of Stronger Bonds, so www.scienceof Stronger bonds with an S, dot com. And if you have a look under the resources section there, we actually have that itch tracker that's downloadable and that can be really, really useful. I use it all the time in my practice. The other thing that's really important is a thorough history and that should be no big surprise to any veterinarian out there. But asking questions specifically about what months of the year the dog might have been affected, how itchy it was, uh, any travel history. So, did the dog always live in the local environment or has it come from out of state? And I often ask about uh, the owner's allergies as well. Lots of people have allergies these days, and it's amazing that so many owners are flaring with their allergy symptoms the same time that that their dogs are. And I find that is a, a really useful in to having a discussion about allergies and how they're similar and how sometimes they're different to human allergies as well.
1: That's fascinating that the client, the human client, is sneezing well, the dog is scratching, you know?
0: Absolutely, yeah. We see it again in the spring and the fall in Georgia. Uh, it depends where you are in the country, but it's, uh, it's not uncommon for me to have a discussion with pet parents and they say, oh, my gosh, you know, I've been sneezing more recently. So that's a really helpful in for me because we, we now have something in common with our pets um, and we can sympathize with how they're suffering at home as well.
1: How do you decide which treatment to use to control the itch in each patient. I'm talking about canine patient in this case.
0: Sure. Yeah, and it's interesting because the disease can manifest differently in every patient. So some dogs might lick their feet, other dogs might get ear infections, you know, another dog might get all of the above. But as a dermatologist, I aim to really collaborate with the referring veterinarian and the patient's family about what's going to be that best long-term treatment for them. And it's going to potentially be different for every dog. So we use the term anchor therapy, which is a, a single, sustainable, and effective treatment that controls the majority of the symptoms for the majority of the time. And as I said, for every dog, that might be something different. There's a number of treatment options available to owners.
1: Well, right. So it's an individualized thing. So Mm -hmm. how do you go about selecting the best treatment for each dog?
0: Yeah, I mean, it it really is an individual choice, as I said. But one thing that I will use during the diagnostic workup, especially during the diagnostic workup, I think it's so important, is I want to use therapies that have been proven to be effective and to work fast. So one of my first-line choices is Apoquel, and um, the the name of that, the drug name is Ococitinib. And that tablet has a rapid onset of efficacy. It starts within four hours and controls that itch uh, in the vast majority of dogs within 24 hours. So it makes it ideal to give it to the patient first-line to get that itch under control quickly. That, I think, gives the patient and the owner some relief and really gets them on board uh, with your recommendations and for the diagnostic workup. I also use it for stop and start itch control during the diagnostic workup and for flares. So I I really can't believe how much has changed in the last five or six years with veterinary dermatology, but Apical's been around now for over seven years um, and has been used in close to 8 million dogs. So we know it's it's a trusted, it's a proven choice, and that, along with cytopoint, have really been game changers in my specialty, particularly with allergic animals.
1: Well, I think game changer is the right way to put it, by the way. Do you find that one medication or treatment is better than another?
0: So, yeah, this is the interesting part. Some dogs will respond differently, and even related dogs can respond differently. So we know that there is a a potential genetic basis uh, to environmental allergy. And so you would think that if you have, let's say, siblings, they would respond to the same treatment. But that's not always the case. So it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all approach. And I remember one family uh, in practice, they had two French bulldogs. Um, They were littermates, Bo and Bella were their names, and both had pretty severe environmental allergies. So over time, Bo responded really well to allergen-specific immunotherapy. So that's allergy shots or allergy desensitization. Whereas for Bella, who we also uh, tried this with, that really didn't work at all. So instead, her anchor therapy was Apoquel, which controlled her signs beautifully. And she's been on that for a number of years now, and is still doing really well.
1: What's... Another... uh, Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Another big factor in treatment selection is really what's practical. So for an owner to do, you know, maybe they can't do tablets, maybe injections are hard, whatever it might be. So we have to take those owner factors into consideration and the nature of the dog. And that's where fear-free principles really come into
1: play. Speaking of which, can you go into more detail about those (laughs) fear-free principles and how it kind of weaves into dermatology? Yeah, absolutely.
0: I think fear-free really has a major role in dermatology and encouraging owners to start conditioning their pets to receive treats um, particularly in a specific location in the house for me is really helpful I in fact do this with my own dog so I I adopted a new puppy uh, within the last year or so and I knew because of all his skin conditions he would need long term medications so I wanted to make sure he was really comfortable with being examined, having his feet looked at, having his ears looked at uh, but also to receive oral medications and I wanted him to be as comfortable with that as quickly as possible so I make giving oral medications a really fun and special event and we have a variety Variety of treats that we use um, and an abundance of praise and attention. He loves it. I um, mean later in life for, for people that have done that especially from puppies into adulthood when that dog needs medication that dog can be called back to that wherever that room was in the house where the treats are normally given and it makes it much much easier. Uh, the dog is not suspicious that you're trying to pill them. Um, they just think it's regular treat time.
1: So do you have any other tips for conditioning dogs to happily Happily, he says, receive medication. Can, can that be done?
0: Absolutely. And I think, you know, other than making it part of the routine, I also like to try and trick the dogs as well. And it's a fun, fun game to play with them. So what I'll do is I'll give those oral medications. And, and I have um, myself, I do it myself, but I also have my owner's give a small treat first that doesn't contain that medication and then we give the second treat that has the medication craftily hidden inside it and then I go ahead and give a third treat as a reward and that way the the dogs are I mean they're smart so we don't want them suspecting that there's something hidden in every bite that they get. I also rotate those treats so you know if cheese is your dog's jam and, and that's going to work for that dog for the rest of its life, that's great. But sometimes you'll find, especially with fussy eaters, you might have to switch out treats from time to time so they don't become conditioned to the same medication each time. Steve, you practice fear-free techniques. Do you have any favorite tricks for helping pets take oral meds?
1: Well, right. I I actually, it's somewhat similar to what you said. So uh, for cats, which we're not talking about, but I'm a huge proponent for kittens of getting one of those pill guns that you can get, uh, that your clients can get online for just a couple bucks uh, at Amazon, and sticking tuna in there or salmon or something of that nature that you know they're going moist cat food, their own cat food. Something, though, they really, really like. And, And over time, the hope is that when the cat is now eight years old and actually needs a pill, that you're able to sneak it in there. And the cat might, or might not, but might, not notice the difference, and sees that pill gun coming and says, great, I'm getting my tuna, this is the best day ever. So that's, that's one idea. And the other is even playing with dogs more roulette than what you're talking about. Because we know the best kind of reinforcement is intermittent reinforcement that is unpredictable. So it's the roulette table. So rather than consistently every second or consistently every third time that they get the pill, so the little bit of, I don't know, hot dog, whatever the artillery is that you're using, uh, turkey dog. Uh, and, and with your patients, it may be more specific. You know, it may be tougher because they may have a food allergy, right? But whatever it is that they can that they really like, that you approve of, maybe the second one is the pill. Then the next day, the third one is the pill. Then the next day the second one is the pill, then the next day the fourth one. So the dog never knows and you never know because you don't remember if you're like me.
0: (laughs) I think that's a great idea. And the other thing I think that really helps, you know, from my own experience, I actually have three dogs and only two of them need oral medications. But uh, all three of them will get a treat each night. uh, And I think what helps for dogs at least, is competition. You know, the dog that gets that extra treat with no medication, is he's a huge fan of, of treat time. And when all three of them are sitting in a row waiting for their treat, uh, you know, I, it makes them just snap up that treat real quick, and they don't even have a chance to think about it. So I really can't overstate the importance of routine. I think, uh, you know, the timing is is important uh, for the animals, too. They kind of get used to everyone settling down for the night. It's treat time. Uh, It really sets their expectations, and it takes the stress off me each night as well.
1: Yeah, I think those are great tips. Are there any times when oral medications just cannot be given? What options do we have then for controlling the dog's itch?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, There are cases uh, where oral medications are just too much of a challenge, either for the pet or for the pet owner, sometimes both. Um, And in those cases, it may be worth considering injectable medications. And we have a number of options. Cytopoint is a great one, and you may be able to further reduce your itchy, allergic dog and pet parents' anxiety and stress by giving that Cytopoint injection in the vet office to avoid problems around medication time. So the reason I really like Cytopoint, it's an excellent choice for of therapy to reduce the burden of care for busy owners as well, um, for dogs that are difficult to pill, dogs that have serious infections, and for early onset allergic patients. You know, we're certainly seeing allergies present under 12 months of age, and that's where Cytopoint really shines. It is labelled for use every four to eight weeks as needed to control the signs of itch associated with atopic or allergic dermatitis. So that frequency of injections is low and there is a spectrum there. You know, some dogs will need it every four weeks. I've certainly had a couple of dogs that just have seasonal flares. They might need an injection in spring and an injection in fall and then they're kind of done until the next year. So... That's definitely a great option to have. Another option for an injectable treatment would be allergen-specific immunotherapy or allergy shots, as I mentioned before. Uh, These really need to be given under the direction of a veterinarian and are most often done under the guidance of a veterinary dermatologist.
1: So medications can obviously improve the dog's quality of life. We know that. What about the owner's quality of life?
0: Yeah, and it's so important and I think as veterinarians we need to recognize that we're treating the dog but the effect we have is not just on that dog, it's on the whole immediate family. And I mentioned quality of life before, we actually have some studies uh, and one of the recent multi-centre studies, we had 68 dogs with atopic dermatitis and they were given a cytopoint injection and what we saw was that as soon as day 7 after that injection, those dogs' itch scores decreased by 57%. And that decrease in the pet's itch score was directly correlated with a more than doubling of the owner quality of life scores within seven days. And that really shows how owners' lives were improved when their pets were less itchy, especially if that treatment didn't increase that owner burden of care.
1: Well, and I can even go further than that. I mean, we know statistically that a whole lot of people, depending on the data you read, it could be more than half of those with companion animals and dogs in particular share Not only our bedroom space, but our beds with the dog. And if the dog is itching and itching and itching at 3 in the morning, well, you get up at 8 in the morning not having slept very well. The dog can nap a lot during the day. You might not be able to do that. And over time, we have sleep-deprived people coming into your clinic saying, "Ah, I just can't take it anymore. What do I do? So, yes, what you said is very important. Uh, Doctor, are there adjunctive therapies that veterinarians may prescribe in addition to the pet's anchor therapy.
0: Absolutely, and allergic dogs commonly have secondary skin infections. And it happens for a number of reasons, Uh, and the constant scratching does make infection control really important for these dogs in the long term. So dogs with recurrent skin infections often benefit from regular bathing and topical therapy, like sprays, mousses, or even medicated wipes.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. We're here free on a fear-free podcast, so I need to ask you, I must ask you about fear-free principles. How did they come into play here?
0: And this is one of my favorite things, so I'm glad we're talking about this today. Fear-free principles are so important, again, for topicals, uh, and I, I I have my own dog that on topical therapy as well, so I've experienced this firsthand within the last year or so. Not all dogs like being bathed, um, and so again, I find these fear-free techniques really useful. I really like the um, suction-based adhesive, like the lick pads applied to the wall of the bathtub or the shower stall,
1: mm-hmm. and I
0: smear these with um, almond butter or squeeze cheese, uh, again, whatever your, your dog likes and is uh, non-toxic to them, and that really provides that food-based restraint and distraction and allows me to bathe the dog. In fact, the dog that has all the skin problems and now associates my bathtub with food. So every time I leave that bathroom door open, I find him just chilling in the bathtub waiting for his treat. So another type of secondary infection that is common in allergic dogs, and this is a tough one, are ear infections. Medicating ears in stressed dogs can be really difficult and unpleasant for both the dog and the owner. And often those infected ears are really inflamed and painful. So... Dogs will sometimes associate ear medication with pain, which is the last thing that we want. So certainly using food-based distraction can help, either feeding treats or using those lick pads again. Other techniques include using long-lasting commercial odor packs or those uh, thermoreversible ear hydrogels, which are usually applied at the clinic, sometimes under sedation. And they can last seven days or more, uh, depending on the product chosen. So what it means is that those owners don't have to apply any medication at themselves at home, and it may help reduce the fear, anxiety, and stress of frequently applying ear medications.
1: You know, we probably underestimate how stressful those itchy dogs are. I mean, no one can explain to them, to my knowledge, exactly what's going on and why it's going on. So do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share specifically about fear-free at-home care for those itchy dogs.
0: Yeah, I agree, Steve. And I think we also sometimes underestimate how stressful those chronic itchy skin disease cases are for the owners. Mm -hmm. I certainly didn't recognize how much it affected my life in terms of stress, lack of sleep that you mentioned, um, and just overall concern for my dog until I owned a dog with atopic disease. And now I have a whole new level of empathy for my clients. Professionally, it also affected my practice and my staff, you know, when those owners were anxious and sleep deprived and stressed about the many treatments required to manage their pet's chronic illness, like allergies, uh, there were very many more phone calls and emails that had to be answered, which in turn increased the stress on the staff in my practice. I think that's why for me it comes down to communication. Environmental allergies in particular in dogs are lifelong and flares of those allergies are going to happen. That's why it's so important to have those lines of communication open with our clients and set up those realistic expectations early on. I wish I could magically cure all allergies with a single treatment, but that's just not going to happen. In the meantime, we aim to find that anchor therapy, whatever it is for that dog, For long-term itch control and provide our clients with fear-free techniques right from the initial visit through the diagnostic workup of their itch to long-term management and treatment of the itch at home.
1: Dr. Fiona Bateman, thank you so much for your time today and to Zoetis for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Bateman.
0: Absolutely. Thanks so much, Steve.
1: If you're already registered for fear-free, Be sure to keep up with all the fear-free happenings, access the new toolbox items, and find all the additional courses at fearfreepets.com. And of course, if you are not registered, find everything you need to get started at fearfreepets.com. If you're a member interested in pursuing practice certification, get more details on the same site under the Veterinary About section. And if you're a pet owner who just stumbled upon this podcast Learn more about the resources we have for you at fearfreehappyhomes.com. This podcast is sponsored by Zoetis, the makers of treatments including Apoquel and Cytopoint. Important safety information. Do not use Apoquel Oclacitinib tablet in dogs less than 12 months of age or those with serious infections. Apoquel may increase the chances of developing serious infections and may cause existing parasitic skin infestations or pre-existing cancers to get worse. Apoquel has not been tested in dogs receiving some medications, including some commonly used to treat skin conditions such as corticosteroids and cyclosporine. Do not use in breeding, pregnant, or lactating dogs. Most common side effects are vomiting and diarrhea. Epoquil has been used safely with many common medications, including parasiticides, antibiotics, and vaccines. For more information, please see full prescribing information at Epoquil.com. Epoquil Indications control of puritis, itching, associated with allergic dermatitis and control of atopic dermatitis in dogs at least 12 months of age. Cytopoint indications. Cytopoint has been shown to be effective for treatment of dogs against allergic dermatitis and atopic dermatitis. Zoetis is dedicated to changing the way we approach canine puritis, to protect the bonds that matter most. Visit scienceofstrongerbonds.com for more information. For more information on Fear Free principles, visit fearfreepets.com and share fearfreehappyhomes.com with your clients.